Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. I am the host, John Moorhead, and I'm privileged today to have a guest that I've tried for a while to get on the program when we finally made things work, and that is Dr. J. Gordon Melton. Gordon, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we were able to finally to, uh, have a time when we were both in the same place. Same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me read a little bit uh, of your bio from uh, the Baylor uh, website. It, it's a pretty long one. I'll try and read some relevant excerpts, and if you want to add something to it. Um, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, Gordon became Distinguished Professor of American Religious History at Baylor University's Institute for Studies in Religion in March of 2011. And uh, you recently retired, is that correct, Gordon? Uh, about a year ago. About a year ago. Um, he also serves as the Director of the Institute for the Study of American Religion in Woodway, Texas. Since joining ISR, he has been developing a set of joint projects between ISR and the Woodway-based Institute, the initial project being a comprehensive census of the American Buddhist and Hindu communities completed in 2010, with an updated census having been launched in 2019. Uh, he has produced a, a huge body of scholarship, uh, including he's responsible for the pu publication of more than 400 reference and scholarly texts since its founding, including multiple editions of Melton's Encyclopedia of American Religions, with the ninth edition uh, being published in 2016. Uh, other publications include the award-winning Religions of the World, the Comprehensive Encyclopedia of Belief and Practice, and Religious Celebrations, an Encyclopedia of Holidays, Festivals, Solemn Observances, and Spiritual Commemorations, and most recently completed the four-volume Faiths Across Time, 5,000 Years of Religious History in 2014. Um, Gordon also is a pioneer in the field of new religious movements and helped to create the subdiscipline. He sits on the International Board of the Center for Studies in New Religions based in Turin, Italy, the primary academic association focusing on studies of new and minority religions. Gordon, anything else you want to add to that? No, you said it pretty, pretty well. We have um, just finished up some follow-up to that uh, Buddhist and Hindu census data that uh, we collected with done a, um, uh, a, a survey of all of the religious groups in America that come from East Asia. Uh, that's Korea, Japan, China, Taiwan, Vietnam, and uh, have submitted that data to Fingen Yang at Purdue University, and he's going to turn it into one of his maps. He's been doing maps of the East Asian uh countries on their religious centers so we decided to we deal with the immigration of east asians uh it was very interesting uh results that, that the there were more korean congregations in america than there are japanese chinese and vietnamese congregations put together hmm. and um 
so the 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 presence that we all feel in our in our churches of of uh, the Koreans element is very real. Um, there've been a large number of Korean Christians who moved to the United States and founded churches. And I suppose we, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention your work, your interest in the uh, church in China. Uh, I've, I very much have. And um, since the changes in Chinese religious law uh, uh, that came into effect right before the uh, pandemic, and it's continued to grow and expand, um, our, our work there has been curtailed and, uh, I, at this point, unless there's some real shifts backward, I don't think I'll be returning to China. It's it's just not a, a receptive place for research anymore. Mm, that's unfortunate. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, your research in the Church of Scientology and uh, shedding light rather than heat on that topic. Uh, how long have you been studying the Church of Scientology? Uh Actually, since the 1960s, I moved uh, to uh, Chicago from my home in Birmingham uh, in 64. And within a year or two, I had made uh, contact with what was then called the Nomad Mission. Uh, the, if you can imagine, the center of the Church of Scientology in Chicago was a, an apartment uh, in, in a, a high-rise apartment building. Um, a young couple had established this as the as the first Scientology center, and I followed it uh, along. Uh, you know, through that time, at one point, I was serving a parish in um, uh, Evanston, Illinois, and the Church of Scientology just so happened at that time uh, they were growing, and the only place they could find was a office building just a couple of blocks from my church in Evanston. They were there for a few years um, while we were putting out an edition of the encyclopedia. Um, so I got to know them real well at that point. And then they moved on into Chicago. So I've been keeping up with them since the late uh, 60s. That is a long period of research with, I'm sure, a lot of changes along the way. Can you... Uh summarize us uh, its origins and its founder l ron hubbard uh l ron hubbard was a, a writer he had uh um developed uh after he dropped out of school um he had an amazing ability with the old typewriters before the days of electric typewriters and and especially before the days of computers um he could uh write over he he did 100 words a minute he was like the best executive secretary uh ever ever uh imagined and he could turn out stories uh at a high clip at, at the time when he was specializing in uh science fiction uh stories primarily he would turn out three or four stories and present them to uh, the editors of the science fiction magazines, they buy all the stories and there are uh, editions of, of the old science fiction pups that all the stories are written by Hubbard under pseudonyms. Wow. <laughs> and uh, uh, so he, he was quite talented, but he got uh, into thinking about uh, the human condition, particularly uh, 
what we would think of as mental health problems and came up with uh, some techniques for, uh, he thought, dealing with those problems. Um, in the process, he got into what we would call Western esotericism, uh, th think theosophy or Rosicrucianism. So his thought world was, was very similar to theosophy. And uh, he began to write uh, on those topics a wee bit before the war. During the war, he entered the Navy, uh, was a lieutenant um, uh, on a boat that was assigned off the coast. Um, that career uh, is interesting uh, uh, because it's all, all messed up uh, in terms of uh, the United States didn't want people to know that Japanese submarines were floating off of the uh, western coast of the U.S. during World War II and that there were actually ships that were having encounters with them. Um, Hubbard's uh, ship was one of those uh, small vessels that was keeping up with the Japanese subs. But that uh, story is still partly classified documents. Uh, hmm. The whole story of the, of the Western, um, uh, the war off California, so to speak, is, has not come out yet. Um, after the war, then he uh, returned in part to science fiction writing, but uh, then uh, began to write seriously about uh, the human condition. Uh, he had several articles published, and then his his monumental book in 1950 of uh, Dianetics, which kind of put the, the first put the system together. And right on the heels of Dianetics, his explorations took him into past lives and reincarnation. And that did the shift. Uh, Dianetics, he thought of as um, what we, we term psychology. He didn't like psychology, so he wouldn't use the term. But it was a psychological exploration of the mental side of the human. But once he got into reincarnation and past lives, he said, this is a spiritual dimension. And so suddenly he was thrown up against religion. And that led in, the, uh, in 1952 to the founding of the first organizations of Scientology. And then uh, in 54, uh, some people who were formerly Dianetic students who followed him into his Scientology beliefs, founded the first church of Scientology in, in Los Angeles. Uh, soon after that, the church in Washington was founded, uh, called the founding church, even though it wasn't the first. And then the um, church in San Diego, uh, uh, the first local center of Scientologists. So it's... Uh, uh, and from there, the what we know as the Church of Scientology was um, put together. How large is it and what kind of growth has it experienced over the years? Well, the growth has been significant. How large it is is one thing we don't know. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the church itself claims that it's in multi-millions. Um, it's certainly in the... Uh, maybe a million, million and a half members that we can count and, and see. But uh, 
that that's a an issue that um, is, is quite sensitive about the church um, as to how many they have. But they have congregation, uh, not congregations. They have churches, uh, buildings um, where Scientology services are offered across the United States, and um, they probably have a uh, uh, hundred to one hundred fifty thousand members. Uh, here, what we would think of as members, there are beyond that. There's a lot of hangers-on and people who've had some brush with Scientology that has been significant for them. Um, but we really don't know. It's just organized very differently uh, as a, a, a Western esoteric group rather than a, as what we would think of as a church with congregations. Now, in, in light of Western esotericism, uh, can you help us understand some of the the beliefs, um, its sacred texts, if that's a fair way to characterize them, uh, practices? What, what's the essence of the, are those things about? Western esotericism is the, the belief that has continued from what we know of as ancient Gnosticism. It's it's the the Gnostic religion brought into the modern world. Gnosticism has a continuous history in the West um, since the first century, at least, and um, it got a real boost after the Reformation. Um, it was a, an object of, of persecution under the medieval Catholic Church, and. The main place it survived was in the mystic communities that had developed. But um, in about 100 years after the Reformation, the Rosicrucian Society, first Rosicrucian Society, was founded in Germany, and that marked the rebirth of, of Western esotericism. Um, it uh, then is transmitted from Rosicrucianism to theosophy. Uh, Freemasonry is a part of it. Uh, and then in the modern world, uh, Wicca and ritual magic have have developed. Um, it, it's a an interesting uh, kind of belief system. It believes that the universe evolved from God, wasn't uh, what we would call created, but that um, God, who is pure spirit. Um, uh, kind of created extensions of himself by evolving levels of, of less and less spirituality. And you go through X number of, of layers and you get to the modern world where uh, spirituality becomes embedded in materialism. Um, so that the goal of uh of thinking in esoteric groups is enlightenment. Um, knowledge and Gnosticism uh, is, is knowledge. And the knowledge frees you from the material world and allows you to return to the uh, spiritual world. So the, the basic uh, thing you will encounter in Gnosticism will be techniques to free you from the material, get you back to the spiritual. Um, that uh, in, in Gnosticism, in Gnostic-like uh, groups, you have classes rather than worship services. 
So you go to classes to learn how to to uh, get out of um, the um, uh, material world. That's what makes it different mm -hmm. uh, because you don't go for regular worship services every week. You go when your class meets at, at whatever level you are. That's another thing about uh, Gnostic groups. They think in terms of levels so that you are, you go in, you learn the material at one level and then you pass to the next level. And um, then you, along the way, you go through all the levels and you get to ultimate truth. And uh, so it's not a revelatory religion. It's a, it's a, um, a religion of education and process. So when L. Ron Hubbard was was studying the human predicament and uh, started writing on, in this area, what what was what were his conclusions? What did he think the human problem was, and how did what he discovered or present? How did that answer that human predicament? Well, he he thought the human problem was that uh, we had accumulated uh, bad karma from all our past lives. Uh, he called them engrams, uh, these little bits of, of bad experiences and behaviors uh, that caused our lives to be dysfunctional. And Dianetics was a process of cleaning those uh, engrams from us. And he thought originally that when you got all your engrams cleared, you were clear. And that was what Dianetics was all about. But then he discovered past lives. And he said, oh, the problem is that we still have engrams from our past lives. And so the higher levels of uh, Scientology uh, had to do with clearing uh, what we would think of as the soul of all of the garbage that it brought from, from past lives. He called the soul the Thetan, and the Thetan is the continuous part of us. And so in the upper levels of Scientology, you learn how to separate the Thetan from the body, out-of-body travel. Uh, and then the, the lessons you learn along the way are to clean the Thetan of its engram. You've already cleaned the, the human psyche of its engrams, the present, you at present, uh, from uh, the things from this present life. That's what Dianetics does. But now you're going to go and clean the Thetan of its past lives. So the higher levels uh, allow you to do that. And uh, there are supposedly 15 higher levels, only eight of which have been revealed. Um, in Scientology, the process of cleaning the engrams uh, involves a process called, called auditing, in which you sit with another person and you go through exercises with them that allow you to do the cleaning. Um, but uh, as you get to the higher levels, the number of auditors that are available to assist you in those higher cleanings is small. Uh, the number of people who are at the higher levels is relatively small. Um, and they would tell you that 
that the ninth level will be available as soon as we get enough people at the eighth level to go up to the ninth level. And so they uh, supposedly are, are holding those high, uh, still higher levels for the future and will um, release them when the time comes. Well, I looked at uh, some of your research in this to prepare for our conversation. And one of the things you discuss is the Sea Org. And uh, what I found interesting about the way you treated it is you notice how it functions similarly to religious orders and other religious traditions. Can you describe what the Sea Org is and how that works within Scientology? Uh, yes, as Hubbard developed the um, the lower levels of uh, of, sci- of, of post-clear um, Scientology work, uh, and he trained a group of people to do them while they were at sea on a on a ship. And so he called the organization of those who were going to release these levels to the to the movement as a whole, uh, the sea organization. Uh, and he, uh, you know, those people who he inve- with whom he invested this sacred knowledge, uh, he uh, turned into an ordered community. And then as the, the church went through its development, uh, the decision was made to make the entire church uh, above the Dianetics level as uh, space for the Sea Org, and that the Sea Org should be running that church. Um, So today, everyone in the church uh, who is in a responsible position above the local church that is at the national, uh, the regional, and the global context. They are members of the Sea Org, and the Sea Org is I—I uh, I use the analogy of the Jesuits. It's very much like the Jesuits. When you join the Sea Org, you agree to the basic uh, uh, positions of a Roman Catholic order. Uh, uh, poverty, obedience, and chastity. Now, the difference with the Sea Org is that you, the chastity is not uh, uh, a part of the thing. So, as a Sea Org member, you can um, you can marry, and uh, you can, if you have time and energy, uh, <laughs> have uh, uh, sexual relations with your wife. What you cannot do in the Sea Org is um, uh, you cannot have children. So if you're if you are married and you and your wife are continuing your relationships, then you have to use some kind of of uh, prophylactic. Uh, I have known people who have uh, uh, had children and had to make that decision. Um, uh, the fellow who ran the Santa Barbara Church during the years I was there. Uh, he and his wife had had two children, and they were both members of the Sea Org, and so they left the Sea Org and took over the church in Santa Barbara and ran it for 15 years while their children grew to to college age. 
after their children were out of the home, they rejoined the Sea Org, and they now live in Washington, D.C., and and um, help run the founding church in Washington, which is a tourist center for, for the church. And um, so, uh, but the Sea Org functions, there are somewhere between five and 7,000 members of the Sea Org, but uh, they run the higher levels of the church. So they run all the international offices and they run the, the uh, higher grades where you go to a church where you get, uh, go through the higher levels. They run that. They run the, there's a large ship, a tourist ship that um, uh, is, uh, um, Function, it, it's stationed in one of the Caribbean islands. And for the highest levels, you have to go there uh, for level seven and eight. And so that that's kind of the way it's organized. The, the church has also been something of a, a lightning rod for controversy over the years. I've got a couple of questions that fit within that context. Uh, one is there have been critics who have denied it's a religion, but you've written on how it meets the qualifications of a religion. Can you just talk about that? Uh, yeah, the, the that's been a, a major problem for the church because in Western Europe, most of the Western Europe countries, Spain and France, Germany, um, do not define Western esoteric groups as religion. Um, the Rosicrucian groups, theosophy operate there as secular organizations, where in North America, we, we see them as religions. Um, what the Church of Scientology did is it, it defined itself as a religion. And when it went to Western Europe, uh, it could have operated quite nicely as an association of uh, uh, even a spiritual association. But uh, it said, no, we are a church. Uh, we marry, we bury. Uh, uh, we we do all the things that a church does, and we want to be recognized as a church. And so some countries did, but Germany, France, and Spain especially did not. And that's where the fight develops, so to speak. Um 50 years ago, um, uh, I have to go through a process just with each edition of my encyclopedia. Uh, when I add groups to the encyclopedia, does it fit? Um, and so every, every issue of the encyclopedia, we have groups we consider and don't put in cause we've, they don't meet the threshold, but Scientology certainly does. Um, it fits into the whole esoteric tradition. Um, it, you know, it marries, it buries, it has clergy, it has worship services, even though its main function is to conduct the classes uh, toward uh, spiritual liberation. But just as I would consider not ancient Gnosticism as a religion, and there's very little controversy along those lines. It has all the characteristics that made the ancient Gnostics a religion. Um, so there's there's no reason not to consider it that way. 
Yeah, I, I realized as or I recalled as I asked the question uh, uh, not too long ago, I had George Crisides on who co-edited uh, the book on contested concepts in the study of religion. So the whole idea of religion isn't a, a slam dunk uh, as a notion to begin with. So it, it's kind of interesting how some have seized on to that to try and deny them the religious uh, kind of thing. So it, there, there are the scholarly definitions and the legal definitions, and they meet both of those. Is that correct? Uh, they do. And, uh, they had a long time. They had a 25 year <laughs> fight in the U S to, uh, to get their tax exemption and be recognized by the IRS as, as a religion. Um, but, uh, pretty much most countries now, um, accept them as a religion. It, it's, it's been hard go, uh, in some places, but, uh, France, they still have a few problems spain is probably the place where they have the most problems but uh uh that's that's another interesting story of of, of there but uh it, it's hard to deny them that they are a religion my, my last question has to do with another area of controversy as you know over the years uh there have been a number of former members who have raised concerns in the media it's there are constant exposés for a lack of a better term the secular anti-cult movement uh, is constantly uh writing critically sometimes even the christian counter-cult movement does that uh, like watchman fellowship uh, did in the past can you talk about the context in which this criticism arises in the past we had the cult wars and that kind of uh, died down but now it's fascinating to me you've got these documentaries about uh, so-called cult groups You've got uh, the media using the term and the concept and brainwashing is there again. You've got some uh, psychologists who are calling certain political commitments uh, cultic, like uh, voting for Trump and this type of a thing. W how does Scientology fit within both the past and what we're seeing in the present with this controversy? Well, when the, the anti-cult movement, as we know it today, began back in the 70s uh, Scientology was one of about two dozen groups that were spotted as being uh, cults by the movement and then the issue of of deprogramming developed so the cult wars was really a, a fight about uh uh can you deprogram people uh can you kidnap people and hold them against their will while you run them through a an anti programming uh model of of understanding uh attachment to new religions uh that was pretty much decided and and there are very few places in the world japan was probably the last that allowed de uh deprogrammings to occur and uh korea there's still a little bit of deprogramming that's going on in korea but not much and um so we think of the of the end of the cult wars as being when we put deprogramming aside. But the whole effort at uh, fighting cults never went away. Um, there was there was the Christian countercult movement that fought groups because they were not Christian. And then there has been the the secular anti-cult movement. Uh, interestingly enough, after they lost, uh, deprogramming, the first target that they had were the polygamists. And 
so they joined the anti-polygamy wars, uh, which are still happening, interestingly enough. Um, and then um, uh, most recently uh, have picked up on the um, uh, women's movement, the, the children's movement to prevent um, uh, uh, various kinds of sexual and, and uh, violent abuse of uh, children and, and women. And this has uh, also allowed them to to focus on both aspects of um, of those kinds of cases, namely the criminal aspect and the civil aspect. So we have two two cases right now, one with La Luz de Mundo, um, large uh, Mexican group uh, whose leader is in jail for uh, uh, child abuse and the uh, Scientology case with Masterson um, uh, uh, celebrity personalities who's been convicted now of, of three uh, cases of rape. Um, uh, but both Lolo's de Mundo and Scientology now face civil cases so that um, the uh, the women who who were found uh, to be victims of rape in criminal court uh, have now filed uh, civil cases. And so there will be a, a several trials that will come up in which Luz de Mundo and, and then Scientology will uh, be sued. And, and this is kind of the deep pockets aspect of the case. Uh, uh, Masterson doesn't have that much money, um, but Church Scientology does. Um, the uh, former head of the La Luz de Mundo doesn't have that much money, but La Luz de Mundo does. It's La Luz de Mundo is in Mexico what the Southern Baptists are here. It's the second largest non-Roman Catholic group, group in the country. Um, so that's uh, that's what's happening with, with both cases. Is it, they're now turning uh, uh, to prepare for these uh, civil cases that will be coming up, and there there will be a half dozen of them probably. So, so is it? What is it that makes? I appreciate the the, the historical context and the comparison between past mm -hmm. and present. What it, what is it that has made Scientology so? That there are a certain number of groups. It's fascinating. Out of all the the new religions and religious movements out there, there are a handful that have been the focus of these kinds of critiques. Uh, any ideas as to what has made them stand out for so many people? Uh, well, one thing is their success. Um, they are arguably the largest of the Western esoteric groups. Only the Amorc Rosicrucians uh, compete with them in terms of size and how many countries that they have an active membership in. Um, one of the things we we forget to look at is is why is why are they successful? Well, they're they're successful because they are presenting the old perennial philosophy. I mean, you know, it's a very, very attractive uh, uh, religion and has, has always been such uh, in the West. Um, but their development of the Sea Org has been a, a key notion, if we can get back to there, is that uh, esotericism appeals to the individual. It's a very, very individualized 
group and it uh, it develops uh, the individual. It doesn't develop groups. Uh, There's nothing like a congregation. So all of a sudden you have the Sea Org that's uh, like the Jesuits. It's it's a lifetime commitment. Uh, it's uh, six and a half days a week of, of activity. Uh, it has a, a fairly rigid organization and control. And overwhelmingly, the people who have come out uh, and opposed Scientology have are former members of of the Sea Org. So the, it's the complaint of the control that they experienced in the Sea Org uh, and the process of getting out that they found disturbing. There, there have been some other things, or other issues along the way, but that's been the major uh, focus. And Scientology uh, has uh, a lot of rules and regulations uh, especially once you get into the higher levels of, of the organization. Down low in, in the beginning stages, it's very free and uh, very much like other esoteric groups. But once you get up higher into it, um, it it's very, very uh, uh, controlling. And that's that's been what's uh, has fueled the uh, the. Uh, hostility about it also it's it's like uh mennonite groups some mennonite groups uh, uh, they have a process of shunning so um if uh, a member leaves uh they they lose a lot of social relationships as well and if uh scientology is very active in um shall we say, countering those people who oppose it. Um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, a a popular group to go after, they have a policy. They just don't answer their critics. They don't deal with them. And uh, uh, but Scientology is just the opposite. It uh, if if you say something they think is wrong, um, not not if you if you express you don't like Scientology, that's fine. But if you say Scientologists do this and that, and they say no, we don't, then they will will counter you on that, and uh, so that has brought a kind of hostility uh, to them because they they had a ha- habit of taking people to court if they wrote books about them and didn't get their facts right. Well, that's a very helpful introduction to uh, the Church of Scientology, and I appreciate your expertise, your years of research, and your uh, professional association with me and friendship over the years, even though when we first started a connection with the <laughs> evangelical counter cult, we got into a little trouble. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the program. Well, as you might be aware, we've just scratched the surface. Oh, yes. And I, I hope you'll you'll track down some of the other people the, uh, that have, have studied and written about Scientology and uh bring them on board um it's important and it's an important issue for those of us who who are are christian and who want to um live a christian lifestyle present a christian view to to people um 
uh, Scientology is, is a large and growing movement, and I, I see nothing that's uh, going to block that growth in the future. Very good. Well, again, Gordon, thank you for coming on the program. This is uh, Multi-Faith Matters. I'm the host, John Moorhead. Until the next episode, thanks to everybody for watching and listening.